Why, hello there, and welcome back to Joygasm, where we chat about video games, movies, and of course, pop culture. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He's Steve, Xbox Live Steve. What up? And this is episode 86. Today is September 1st, 2018. We are going to be focusing this particular episode on the massive gameplay reveal. <laughs> Ooh, of Cyberpunk man. 2077 that dropped earlier this week, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, Mundo. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, let's actually get a little bit of a, a catching up, if you will, just uh, because I have mm. uh, been gone for a week. And I must apologize to all of you lovely listeners out there because we did not have a podcast episode drop mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. past week due to the fact that I was absent but i'm back and uh, we are more than excited to be able to reconnect with everyone in the world so (laughs) steve how you doing and the internet russ i'm doing great no i could say for once it's good to see you oh you know i got the cord i got the cords all tied up around my feet though so i don't unplug anything while i'm uh (laughs) they're slowly making their way up your body (laughs) what's happening (laughs) oh boy you're yeah. like that. You're like that one dude. Uh, oh, what's his name? What's the actor who played Gollum, Steve? Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. He was in King Kong. And uh, did you mm. see that movie? Uh, Peter Jackson, yeah, King Kong. I saw a little bit of it, but I I didn't. Yeah, see very okay, much that's right, Steve. So the, basically, this description is going to be lost on you. But for those of you <laughs> out there who have seen the movie, I was thinking of. Uh, the scene where Andy Serkis's character gets slowly devoured by those like. I don't know, human size, look at mealworm, look at things, pretty disgusting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Steve, back to you in the newsroom. Kind of gross there, Russ. I missed you, you know that? It's it's first for me to say that to you, because usually I'm gone for for a while, and then uh, coming back... But well, well then, thank you, know, you. You know, you you were gone, and the family was gone, and I was all by here by my lonesome. Indeed, feeding the cat, and uh, what do I do in this house by myself? Yeah, well, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <It's> plenty of <laughs> toys. Yeah. Plenty of toys at my house too. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like toys. <laughs> I forgot if I told you. Did I tell you that when I was uh, in Canada that I saw Itania? I don't think I told you. No, I you didn't. Itania. Okay, I, w- I saw I'm, it. I'm dying to know. Did you like it? I liked it. I didn't think it was. Uh, I didn't I, like when you go. Oh, uh, you know, in hood, blah blah blah. Itania. Oh, by the way, have you seen Itania? It's just, oh, <laughs> it's just, it's just, oh man. It was seriously one of my favorite <laughs> films of what was it last year? It came out at the end of last no, it year. It came right? out this year, Russ. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. It, when, when did it come out? Oh, Oh, you don't even remember. It it came out this year. If it came out this year, it had to have come out like at the beginning of the year, like January or February. But no, 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 no. Uh, It had to have come out last year. No. I think it came out last year because it won Oscars. Did it? Mm hmm. Uh, so there's no way it could have come out this year. It had to have come out last year unless there's something. Okay, fine. What, November? Uh, Well, M is 2017, so whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember it was like right at the end of 2017. Yeah, okay. So what do you think, Steve? So, so did you like the movie? Uh, you know, I liked it. I don't know. I mean, it, 
Like I said, I don't think it was as great as, as you were chalking it up to be. Uh, I think Margot Robbie did a, good, did a good job. I think she did a good job. She did more than a good job. She was fantastic in that movie. The movie is entertaining. It's a, it, I, I, I like the story. I like how everybody played out. I like the, you like the end credits and stuff, the stuff that they showed there. That was cool. I mean, it, you, yeah, yeah, it was a good movie, Russ. Like I did. The, the, the woman, I can't remember her, the, the actress's name, but the woman who plays... Uh, Tanya's mom. She won an Academy Award for, uh, I think it was Best Supporting Act- Actress. <laughs> Most bitter woman in a movie. Uh, <laughs> oh man, she was, you know what's funny is that that, that lady is, in real life, she is like so nice and everything else. I mean, she re- that, that's what I'm talking about. Like the, the actors in that film just channeled these characters. I mean, it's, it's almost haunting how like, I don't know, j- j- just I don't know. I, I was riveted the entire time just watching this film, but that's just me. I, well, I think that the actor who portrayed the dude who set up all the uh, shenanigans, uh-huh. uh, he was <laughs> awesome. He portrayed that guy channeled in the other dude really well. He did, My didn't he? goodness. I liked how like it was like just it felt like more of a character study rather yeah. than like, oh, you have this huge opera of a movie. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Like, no, like it was, it was kind of like this microcosm vibe about it that I thought was really cool where like you, it, it allowed me as a viewer to just really focus in on each one of the different Did characters it, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Did it? For me personally. Did it? Yeah. And if you recall, I was very happy uh, during the Oscars that it at least got some sort of recognition there, Steve. Yes. I wanted, honestly, yes. Margot Robbie to win Best Actress. I uh, wanted other movies to win besides uh, The Shape of Water and um, <laughs> Phantom Thread. And yes. uh, <laughs> I don't even remember who, who won Best Actress last year. I'm not, a, uh, I don't recall off the top of my head, but all I remember was like it was like Phantom Thread, The Shape of Water, um, and three billboards outside something Missouri. And yeah. um, it was uh, the movie with uh, uh, the London, uh, once I can see his face, I can't remember his name. Gary Oldman was in it. Gary Oldman was the in... The Darkest Hour. That's what it's called. Oh! Yeah, that one was nominated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blade Runner for 2049. Then Dunkirk, I think, was also nominated. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, anyway. I didn't Google any of that. I was off the top of my head, Roz. Uh, uh, color me impressed. There you go. I might have missed a couple of them, but... Uh, I think there were probably a few others in there, yes. Yeah. So, let's see. While you were away... Roz... I did see a couple movies that you have seen that you've been suggesting I see. Really? Mm-hmm. I saw, uh, what is it called? Um, American Made. American Made. How was it? That was good. I enjoyed that one. Okay. That was a movie with Tom Cruise. He's the uh, pilot with, uh, uh-huh. flies the uh, narcotics in and out of Colombia. Mm-hmm. That was a good movie. It was a good movie. I'm glad you saw it. Yeah. I uh I that yeah I enjoyed that one. I'm glad this is good. So you you, you saw Itania mm-hmm. while you're in Canada. You saw American Made. What else yeah. did you see, Steve? I saw Wreck It Ralph. Okay, what did you think of Wreck It Ralph? Wreck It Ralph was good. It was good, right? Yeah, it was good. I uh, I liked. There's some like little. You gotta be. That's a movie you gotta be watching for the nuances. Absolutely. Uh, so if you don't if you don't know the nuances of that movie, then you're gonna be missing out on like you don't know what's going on. Right. You're like, who's the big buff guy with the hairy chest? You know, who's uh, who's that guy with the red shoes? Uh-huh. He's all blue. He's telling him what to, you know. You know, you're not gonna really know 
what's what. Well, and, and it's nostalgia. Like I think that a film like that is appreciated by people of our age group where yeah. you grew up during that time period of like the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, yeah. so on and so forth. So like, I mean, just I think about every character I saw in that film, I'm like, oh, that's so-and-so. And, oh, yeah. that's so-and-so, you know. Guess who the uh, the arcade manager was? The voice, the voice, the voice of the uh, the arcade manager. I uh, know. Uh, please, please enlighten me, Steve. Uh, that was Ed O'Neill, really? otherwise known as Al Bundy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. That movie seriously was one of the most enjoyable 3D animation films. Uh, I mean, what I appreciated was that it 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 went in a direction that was not the the typical formula of right. 3D animated films. And I liked how, like, it, it just, I don't know, it took a concept such as video games and they just really just went for it in yeah. its own way. And, and, of course, as a fellow gamer, I appreciate a lot of the uh, attention to little nuances, like you said. But I do think once, like, the second half of the movie got there with uh, him and the, and the land that he wound up in, uh-huh. I think I started not, it didn't necessarily trail off, but I was enjoying all the nuances like we were just talking about with uh-huh. all the a whole arcade scene. And then it went there and then I felt like something was left out. Mm. Like if you didn't know where he was with all his Candyland racer, whatever, mm-hmm. whatnot, then I, I didn't know where he was. I, I think they mentioned that movie, but it looked kind of barren to me because I didn't recognize anything. Uh-huh. Probably as a, if, if I was not a gamer and I watched the movie, probably the whole movie felt like that. But mm-hmm. because I didn't know where he was, I didn't you know have any childhood memories of that. I, I was kind of clueless. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think at that point too, they were trying to search for the, the person who's responsible for trying to take over and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So without giving any spoilers, <laughs> but I, I liked all the voice actors, uh, you know, for Wreck-It Ralph and uh, yeah. you know the Commando lady, uh-huh. and uh, I thought that was really hashed out well. I liked uh, I liked how the the screen was like a porthole through yeah. you know, the people in the arcade could actually see through all the, the, the little characters anyway. Yeah, did you notice how the older arcades? The, the characters had more choppy animation oh, yeah. than the newer arcades uh-huh. with the more fluid. Yeah. Yep. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I appreciate all those little attentions to uh, detail. Um, one of the things that I have an observation about as it applies to having the different recognizable characters, like, for instance, from the video game world, Ready Player One did this, too, where you have, like, these cameos of these different characters, but they're not really an, an integral right. part to the plot. And I was kind of hoping that would be the case in Ready Player One in, in a way. Yeah, I think that's what I'm I'm still hoping for in a future film that does the same kind of thing, where, like, it doesn't just do, like, eye candy service. So like, oh, look, it's Chun-Li from Street Fighter, but, right. like, Chun-Li from Street Fighter would actually... Say something. Yeah, like, yeah. like somehow get involved with it. I do... I do understand that there has to be limits on that, though, because these characters are just these cherished IPs that everybody has come to know and love, and you don't want them to appear as boring. True. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to kind of think that one around a a little bit there, Steve. I think, well, that's a good point. But I think also, I mean, a lot of these games, I think, were Nintendo games, Nintendo and Sega. Mm -hmm. Mostly Nintendo. Some Atari. Yeah. But uh, I was glad they kind of they, they gave the rights to Disney to kind of explore this and have fun with it. I mean, they... You know what? I take that back. Oh. Actually, you weren't even listening there were a lot of third-party companies mm. uh, that were in there just mm. thinking of all the different characters. Like yeah. when, when Ralph first sees like kind of like 
the world of gaming and you have all those video game characters that are walking around that kind of like, it's almost like a shopping mall for video game yeah. character kind of thing. Um, yeah, there were, it was not limited to just first parties that you had representation from a lot of different places. But anyway, go ahead, Steve. Makes me look forward to the, uh, the sequel though. I can't wait to see the sequel. When is, is that coming out in November or what, what's the release date for that? <clears throat> Here, let oh, me, he's uh, looking. Let me uh, let me ask. Um, She's not gonna know, Steve. You just my, uh, you, you got to mdib it. What? Hold on, I'll ask my incredibly smart smartphone. <laughs> when is the release date for Wreck It Ralph Two? Sorry, I don't know when Wreck It Ralph Two was released. Figures. She's a man. Oh, wait a <laughs> I was gonna say a man after your own heart, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, she's a, she's an AI after your own heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll look that up. Um, anyway, continuing on though. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm looking forward. I hope they they what we're talking about. I hope they include that into the sequel. Uh-huh. They did leave that out that that open. Well, in the sequel, it looks like they're doing more of a focus on just the internet, right. As opposed to gaming in general. True, so. but I mean, they kind of have to corporate the gaming somehow, Ross. They go hand in hand if you think about it. Let me see. So, and the, uh, let's see, what did I say? The last I movie know. I think that I saw was um, uh-huh. Coco. The Pixar film. Mm-hmm. I have not seen that yet. You have to. Oh, he says I have to. It is a, vi- Pixar is back with this one. Well, not, they didn't leave. Pixar never left. Pixar Steve. never left, but I'm telling you, this has the magic in it that we all love about Pixar. Mm-hmm. It is rich, Russ. I keep coming back to the word rich. Mm. Like the story, I mean, Pixar, they, oh, the animation, they take it to the next level in this movie. I, and it's kind of funny to say that because all their, and their animation's fine in all their, their movies, but like the level of detail of expression or like the skin or hair or like, Man, it is so good. Everyone who I've talked to about this film has said pretty much like like the same thing. Where like they're just like this is like one of the best Dude, Pixar movies ever. You so, have got to see Coco. If my brother says I have got to see it, then it must be a doozy. Um, you know, as a coming up from the outside, I thought, how are they going to make a story about the Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos? Well, like there was another three D animated film that came out. What was Book it of called? Life. Book of Life. Yeah, yeah. which I, I, I think that that's by DreamWorks, isn't it? I don't remember if it's DreamWorks. I know that there was a special effects house in the the Dallas, Texas area that was responsible for putting that whole thing together, but. I don't remember if it's if they they channeled it through DreamWorks or not. I forgot what it was. I had to put it on the Netflix list because yeah, that was the other one. And I remember seeing like a clip of it, and I thought uh, that looks intriguing. And then that's all I really thought about it. Okay. I kind of forgot about it ever since. <laughs> so I definitely want to go see it uh, now. Um, but yeah, no, I. Whew. I mean the the music and the like the life in the movie, which is funny because it's it's. <laughs> It's a CG movie. Uh-huh. Man, they got some talent over there. I'm telling you. Uh-huh. Man. I mean, I, I'm i definitely picking that one up. I'm yeah. watching it again. It, there's the, the music and the culture. It's not It's not hilarious. It's not hilariously funny. Yeah. Um, but it has this element of family in it. 
kind of like we like. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily a kids' movie. I'm telling you. Like, I don't even know if 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 you watched if you watched it with your daughter, she's not going to get hardly any of it. Is it one of those films where like they they kind of have a parallel track where like as things are unfolding, there are things that will register with kids, but at the same time, as adults are watching it, the the adults will pick up on things that the kids will you know, kind of go over the kids' heads. The adults will definitely pick up on stuff. I would say if your kid's going to watch, the kid's got to be like ten. Hmm. But I mean, it, it could even be a date movie. I mean, it's it is awesome. It okay. is it is a very good movie. Did you ever see Moana? Yes, it did. Do you think this uh, movie, this Coco movie, is better than Moana? Absolutely. Wow, because a lot down. of people love Moana as well. I can I uh, there's there's something about okay. I know Pixar and is owned by Disney, but I'm I'm telling you, I don't know what it is. Like I mean, I saw these movies close by, you know, right. back to back almost. Wreck It Ralph first, Coco second. Right. And there's something about when it when Pixar makes a movie versus when it's a solo Disney movie. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but Pixar puts the X factor in it. Where you can just tell they put a little bit more either I don't know what it is, but it's attention to it's detail. A secret sauce, Steve. Something I don't know. Yeah. Um, wow. I'm you gotta see it. Four for four. You heard it right here, ladies and gentlemen. Steve is a fan of I, Tanya, Wreck-It Ralph, Coco, and American Maid. Well, I will say- Did pro- you see another movie? Did you, is there a um, fifth movie that you watched? Movie? I don't think there was a fifth movie. I have some movies I haven't watched yet, Russ. Mm. I don't think there's a- um, Let me see. I watched them. Oh, Wreck-It Ralph, I, Tanya. No, that's it. That's it, Russ. Well- I'd say that's a resounding success right there, Steve. Yes, indeed. By the way, uh, Wreck-It Ralph comes out November, Russ. November, okay. November this year. I knew it was this year. I just didn't re- remember when exactly. Mm. Now, Russ, uh-huh. I have a question. Well, I have an answer. For you. Have you played anything? Or have you watched anything? Being away from the house, away from your collection, away from your your toys. And follow-up question. Mm. Did you take the Nintendo Switch with you on the flight? So to answer those questions in a dyslexic fashion, I did take my Nintendo Switch with me Nice on my trip to the Bay Area. I don't even remember if I mentioned this on the show or not, but I took a week to go to the Bay Area, took the family over there for a vacation. It was kind of one of more of those productive vacations. It's, it's, it was not one of those where I'm sitting on the sandy beach with a nice cocktail or whatever. It, it was not like that. Essentially, I had to finish unloading a storage unit, so that took up uh, half the time that I was there. And then the other half, there was some, some uh, kind of family reunion-esque kind of stuff, which, by the by... You and uh, another cousin were the only ones who were absent from the uh, festivities. Yes, thank you. But to answer your question, I did play some Switch titles, which was a lot of fun. I started trying out the Octopath Traveler for the Nintendo Switch. It's uh, more of a, like one of those traditional RPG style games, which is really cool. I the first time I saw it was in Reno. Um, our, our buddy, Shawnee Sean. Ah, Shawnee. He had the game. And so I was sitting down and just, I literally just played it for like 10 seconds before we started watching. Like, I think there was like a UFC thing going on or something. I awesome. Remember. You got to get in that, Russ, by the way. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> 
I was looking at the graphic style when I was at his house and that that's what really grabbed me was that it has this kind of cool combination of like the characters themselves are like these like ultra old school 2D sprite little uh, two frames per second style characters. But then they were, they run around in this world. That's more of like kind of more of a 3d polygonal world, but the polygonal world doesn't look like polygons. They actually look like sprites. So it's, it, I mean, I really dig the style of it. I've been making my way through it. My understanding is, is that there are eight different characters that you will eventually meet throughout the game. Hence Octo. <laughs> imagine. It's, a, it's amazing how those things coincide. But um, as the title suggests, there are eight different characters. I have found two so far. Okay. But um, no, it's fun. Like each character has their own backstory. In, in the traditional sense of RPGs, you always start out with like your main hero. They go on a quest. They, as they go on their hero's journey, they meet different types of supporting characters who join your party, so on and so forth. This one has a different approach where you take a break from playing. Well, first of all, when you first start the game, you can choose which one of the eight you want to start with. And then from there, then it sets you on this certain kind of path and you will eventually meet um, the second character. And what happens is that the first character, once you complete their chapter one, they'll actually take a break and you take control of the second character, in which case you will then find out about their backstory and then complete essentially what the equivalent is of their chapter one before you go and you meet like the third character. And it's, it's I don't know, it, it's a different approach to things, but what I've been told is you go through this, this process with all eight characters. And then all of a sudden you go back to like your first character you started with to, to do chapter two, that sort of thing. And I, I'm anticipating that it's probably going to be like this, like interweaving of stories somehow, somewhere. But so far, I mean, I really like it on the switch. I think it's a fun RPG. I think it's something that that's just, especially if you're traveling, it's just great just to sit there. It's like that old school, like, you know, you're, you're going through <laughs> menus with a little like gloved hand that's pointing at stuff, you right. know, and, yeah, I don't know. It's I'm I'm digging it so far, and other than that, I have also been playing Kirby Allies, oh, which uh, this is the very first Kirby game I've ever played in my life. It's a fun game. Like it's again, it's it's another game that is just perfect for the Switch. Yeah. Did you let anybody else play, or did you let anyone else have a controller to play two player, or did you hog the whole thing by yourself? There was no interest from anyone else. Not even your daughter. My daughter had her, um, it's the equivalent of an, of an iPad. It's like a little oh, kid. Oh, I know. What, yeah, a little kid tablet thing. Yeah. Exactly. It's a kid-friendly thing. She was into that the whole time. She had no interest. I was literally just, I was sitting next to her on the flight both ways, and she was into that thing, okay. which was really cute, by the way, because we bought her these uh, this <laughs> unicorn headset for her oh, to be able to plug cool. into the tablet. And it actually like, like glows like rainbow colors and stuff while she's listening to her little show or whatever. But anyway, played Kirby Allies. That also is a game I haven't gotten too far in, but I've gotten far enough into to be able to understand the gameplay mechanics, which is really cool in its own right in the sense that when you're playing Kirby, you're going through this world and you can actually get your enemies to become your allies, hence the, the, right. the, the title. I remember you saying that last time. Which is really cool. Like, I mean, I, I really appreciate the idea of being able to, like, 
take on like a certain enemy. You, you can take them out if you want, or you, you can have them join your <laughs> ranks. But what's neat about it is that the gameplay mechanic side of things is that you can actually combine. Well, first of all, one of the gameplay mechanics is I like the idea of how you can have these, these buddies of yours that will help fight along the level. But the other really cool thing is that then you can actually experiment with combining abilities of different foes together, whether it's with your yourself as Kirby or with each other uh, with, with those different allies. And so what's really cool is that you, it's almost like, it reminds me of Zelda a bit where like one of my favorite gameplay mechanics of breath of the wild is the whole cooking mechanism where like, or not mechanism, but mechanic, excuse me, hmm. where you can combine different things you found in the world. And then as a result, it'll come up with some sort of dish that, that perhaps will replenish your health or maybe give you like a, a temporary speed boost or, uh, but, you know, it has these different types of like temporary buffs that, that occur. Or if you put a dusting of oregano in there, it might give you faster reflex action. Precisely. There you go. So I've been enjoying that game quite a bit. The levels are really, I mean, it's it's such a Nintendo game. You're playing it and you're, and you're just, the entire time you, you're charmed uh, to death with just the sound effects and the, the movement stuff. But it, it is a very tightly created game. I mean, the world itself is very well realized. And what's cool is that the, the world of Kirby is distinctly different from the world of Mario because I was anticipating that like it would kind of be very similar. And I mean, there are certain things about it because it is a Nintendo title, but they, they've managed to make it its own, you know, stand, stand shoulder to shoulder with, with uh, the old Mario. <laughs> So those are the two main games I was playing over the last week. I don't believe I actually saw any kind of movies while I was out there because I was really busy. We were visiting friends and that sort of thing. However, it is worth noting that during our trip over there, I managed to actually make a pit stop. We were, we were coming back from Livermore and we were making our way up to uh, more of the Petaluma area. And so we're making our way through San Francisco and we spontaneously decided that we wanted to see where the current buildings of Industrial Light and Magic are located. And so that was a lot of fun because previously I had been to the island buildings that used to reside in San Rafael. And then, of course, several years back, they had moved from the San Rafael campus to this brand new campus um, in the, the kind of Presidio area of San Francisco. And, and I've... I've never been there and I've seen pictures from friends who have actually checked out kind of the, the property itself. And so while I didn't actually have any kind of like appointment to be able to go in and check it out or anything like that, it was a lot of fun for me to be able to go to just, just the, the property itself, find the, uh, the famous Yoda fountain statue thing that was there. And for someone like myself, like it's just, I feel uh, just an air of familiarity. Like, like it's fun to be able to go to, to a place like that where you know that there's just the, this huge just explosion of creative outlet. And um, or pro actually, probably a better way to say it is creative output. I don't know. Outlet or output? I don't know. It's one of those things. But, but anyway. Definitely no input, though. No input. <laughs> not, not, none, none whatsoever. But no, it was fun. I had my camera with me. I didn't have all of the, the lenses and stuff. I just, I literally just had my camera with one lens, but I managed to, to take some pictures uh, there. Actually, my lovely wife also uh, did a great job taking pictures of me and, and of my little one together. 
just uh, around the property. I was able to, to look inside the windows of the lobby because it was obviously it was a Sunday, so they were closed for the day. <laughs> you smear your nose and lips on the windows at all? I was tempted to, yeah. <laughs> Who is that guy? What's he doing there? I did not know. I, I was tempted to, but uh, actually in their lobby that you could see the R2-D2 unit that was used in the in the movies that Kenny Baker used to, to you know, control inside. And they had the, the K unit from Rogue One that was, man, that's, that's, a, that's a very large droid in person. But the actual physical um, creations were present in that 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 space there so i will plop some of those photos up on our facebook and instagram pages so for those of you that are interested you can take a look at that but it, it was it, i don't know like to give me an idea like like i have such a huge appreciation for ilm it's one of the places i've always wanted to work at i've never worked at ilm um probably because i'm not good enough but that's what you said last time Raj. yeah and it's amazing how that continues <laughs> I'm going to slap you in a second. <laughs> slap some self-esteem and confidence here. <laughs> oh, man. But no, it, it was just a treat to be able to go there and just check it out. I was I was so inspired being there that actually I ended up playing Yoda's theme on the, the rest of the drive home, which was great because my daughter had never heard that song. And so during the course of the song, uh, she actually asked me what it was. And so I told her the name. And after the song was over, she actually requested to hear more from... The Empire Strikes Back soundtrack. What's that, Daddy? You're making me so proud of you, my daughter. So that was uh, that. That was uh, a lot of fun to be able to check that out, and I'm looking forward to seeing. See, in the past, I've had a couple of friends that worked at ILM, so I was able to actually get a tour inside. I don't think I know anyone who works there currently, so that's a bit of a bummer because I would like to be able to kind of check out more of the facility, but I'll have to. I'll have to look into that. Why don't you do that, Russ? Take a little look-see. Other than that, though, I don't believe... Oh, so, okay. Uh, as I was emptying the storage unit, this is a, a fun little side note, I was able to find several art of books that I have been missing for quite some time, and, and so it was great to be able to find all those. And I also found a lot of my Dreamcast um, game cases... I haven't had a chance to actually like look inside there or not, but unfortunately I still cannot find the Sega Dreamcast. It is the most peculiar thing, but I, I think I'm going to have to like root around all of the boxes I have here at the house to see if I can try and find it. But it's, it's weird. It's like I have the Dreamcast controllers in the room that we're, that we're doing the podcast in right now. I even have my fishing pole controller from back in the day for that. I have the game cases along with some, probably some of the games within the, the box that I, I emptied from the storage unit. I'm simply just missing the system. Hmm. It's the most important part, Russ. Uh, yeah. Oh! <laughs> oh, uh, one more thing! Well, speaking of one of the big uh, kind of, uh, woo, like, like sigh of relief kind of things was I found my Shinmu Dreamcast game. I thought you were going to say that it, uh, one last thing was that you didn't get molested on this trip like you did with the last trip. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, that is true. I did not. But um, no, I, that was one of the big priorities I wanted to make sure I could find, and I did. I'm so glad I did. Um, just a quick story here. 
One of my absolute favorite game designers is Yu Suzuki, which I think to Steve, it's probably one of his as well. But Yu Suzuki headed up the AM2 division of Sega back in its heyday. It was he was responsible for just some of the best arcade experiences, such as Afterburner, Space Harrier, Virtua Fighter, Daytona USA, Daytona. Virtual Racer. <laughs> okay, sorry. You were just as off key as the original uh, singer there. That's Steve. why I that I, that's I normally sing on key, Russ. Uh huh. But uh, I purposefully sang off key for that one. Blue blue skies. Anyway, yeah, I don't know about that one. Uh, that was from the uh, the third level. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the race track. The race track. Adva- or expert. Yeah, yeah. What was that? It was beginner, advanced, expert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, going back to the story at hand, I had received a tip from a fellow friend who uh, was very friendly in telling me. Thank about- goodness for that. Yeah, exactly. No, they had let me know that Yu Suzuki <laughs> was in town. This is back when I was living in the South Bay in the Silicon Valley. I'm going to give you a tip and then I'm going to punch you in the face. Huh, that's <laughs> very unfriendly of you. Why would you do that? <laughs> but anyway, somehow he had found out that Yu Suzuki was in town. He was in San Jose. And so he knew I was. San Jose! Yeah, he, he was uh, a big. <laughs> he knew I was a big fan of Sega and specifically of Yu Suzuki. So I went down there and I took my Shinmu game and I had him autograph the game. So I had him autograph the, the instruction oh. manual and the discs and that sort of thing. It was the coolest thing. The guy really does not, at the time anyway, he didn't know how to really speak English too well. He had an interpreter there. But when I uh, got to go up there and say hi to him, I just I uh, made a gesture like I wanted to shake his hand. And, and, uh, and so I was shaking and I was just letting him know. I was thanking him for the tremendous amount of impact that the man has had on not only my childhood, but also just in my, my career trajectory. And so his interpreter... Um, just relay that to to him, and and it was fun to watch his face light up. He's like, "Oh, thank you very much," you know, and and uh, you know he he had both his hands on my hand at that point, just shaking it and stuff, and just a, a again just a really humble guy, a really cool guy, and someone who just you know he, he's an extremely talented individual who has um, just a, a talent, especially for back in the day during the arcade scene where bigger is better kind of thing. I mean, he was really able to create those memorable moments within the arcade experience. So definitely glad I got that back and I want to keep it safe and sound locked up in the vault. Absolutely. So that's about all that's new with me, Steve. Okay, Russ. So our topic of the day is the cyberpunk 2077 Gameplay demo impressions. I guess I'll just kick it over to you, Steve. <laughs> hey, what is your uh, overall thoughts? I think it rocks. Oh, Rush. I think it's awesome. It is a work in progress, like they've stated, and then they printed on the screen the whole entire time. So, um, oh, I mean, as nitpicky as I am, there's only a couple things that uh, that I would, you know, pull apart, but. Other than that, I mean, it looks friggin' awesome. I th- so this was the demo. I well, I think this was the demo they played at E3. Um, while I was listening to Angry Joe show, mm-hmm. and I believe he was saying that somebody was playing the demo 
So they weren't recording. They, they didn't like show this. Just yeah. sit everybody in chat down and show this. I think someone was actually playing the game. Um, but I think all the steps that what they went through were exactly on pace with uh, what we saw mm-hmm. in, the, in the reveal here. Did you catch how it was uh, set in northern CA? I did, yeah. I, I keyed on the whole free state of Northern California, which uh, I'm assuming that we'll be able to get more information on just what the free state means. Like, I don't know like if there are parts of the United States that are communist or something or <laughs> what the deal is, but but um, yeah, I, it definitely piqued my interest to, to see that, that free state of Northern California. One thing I hope they didn't overpromise was that uh, w- when she was riding in the elevator down from her apartment down to the main street, mm-hmm. they said it's a fully living, functioning city, and there and everything is going to be happening while you're out, you know, doing your own little story. Mm-hmm. So they said there's going to be no loading screens. That follows suit with God of War. Huh? God of War on PS4 is the first game to not have any kind of loading screen whatsoever. I mean, that, that was one of the, the biggest achievements of that title was like, as I was playing through it, uh-huh. it really brought to the forefront how conditioned as a gamer I am to expect a loading screen here and there. Right. Just because, oh, we're going to the next part of the world or it's, it's another level that it's having to load. There's, there's, there's just some kind of break that you have to wait for. God of War is the first game where, like, it is 100% seamless. Hmm. And it, it, it was a talking point that everybody who's played the game is just like, oh, my gosh. I am, I'm so – I'm blown away by this experience <laughs> because it makes it that much more immersive in terms of storytelling and stuff. And you realize, like, how much of a, of a – interruption it is to have like a black loading screen or yeah. like, or some little like you know still image slideshow that they do and that sort of thing i mean it's i'm very excited about how like i i think this will eventually get incorporated into all titles to the point where like they're you know the hardware spec is going to be at a point where you can just keep playing the game like just just yeah infinitely and not, not have any kind of waiting period. Or at least if you have like a PS4 Pro or an Xbox One X anyway. I mean, definitely. You know, I don't know how seamless it's going to be if you if you don't have, I mean, you saw how the gameplay was was on Xbox. I mean, the the, the choices you were choosing said either yeah. you know, X, Y or whatever. And actually too, what's cool about it, like if, and he didn't completely say that like, like oh, the, they have achieved it. Like they're still, right. he said they're still working on it. If they are able to actually get that to work, though, that's going to be the next evolutionary step from what what God of War was able to do. Because in God of War, the game itself really is not a populated world. Right. Like, like you will come to certain parts within the world where, like, you'll have some baddies that will appear and you dispatch of them and everything else. But by and large in that game, it's mainly just you and your son walking around an environment. It's like, okay, I mean, it's, it's a gorgeous game and that sort of thing. Cyberpunk 2077, however, has a multitude of different types of NPCs doing things and other types of um, environmental animations that, I don't know, like it really lends itself to just, okay, if we're able to do that, that, that will be a feat unto itself. Speaking of evolution, Russ, uh, the character customization screen. Mm-hmm. So did you see all that stuff that you could 
select. So yeah, so that was um, another point of interest for me as well because I, for one, I, I know that there was kind of a little bit of a backlash with how people wanted this to be third person. I'm, I guess I'm in the minority, but I really dig how it's first person. I think it's much more, it's like what, what they're going for in terms of having a much more immersive experience. I also really appreciate how it's combining like a first person shooter game, but with an RPG. And I, I don't know. I, I think that Borderlands 2, for instance, is a game that's kind of similar in the sense that it's a first person shooter, but, but it has RPG elements to it. You have the, the loot system and that sort of thing you're leveling your character up and everything else. But uh, I do think that this is a, a very cool approach to RPGs stuff. And I think kind of like not to go too far on a tangent with this, but traditionally speaking, RPGs are always kind of fantasy based. Like, like you have your standard final fantasies or your shining forces or Witcher. Yeah, just a lot of those. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But in terms of the genre of RPG, I think that there are different types of themes that you can apply to that genre and and have it be a fresher experience. I think cyberpunk is one of those examples where it's very sci-fi, like futuristic sci-fi RPG. Well, suddenly that turns the whole kind of reputation of what a quote RPG is on its side. And you're just like, huh? okay, well now this is something that that's, uh, I never really kind of interpreted this before. Um, and so it's, I, I mean, from, from the look of it, it looks like there are just a ton of different options to be able to choose from. And of course they were talking through the, the game demo as well about how you have various consequences that are based off your decisions, which kind of remind me of Witcher 3. Witcher 3 was kind of like that. So continue. But I mean, I'll, when you're making your character, even it's not just, oh, you know, male or female, it's, uh, you know, you, not only the look as well, but you're choosing how this person was brought up, their personality. Backstory. Backstory. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty deep. That, that I've never has had to play something like that or seen something like that before. I mean, that goes to replayability too, because what if you play the game a certain way and then you go back and you choose different decisions with but with the same character or you go back and play a different the same character but a different backstory i mean would they choose different stuff from from there on out or, or different uh things to say i wonder what kind of impact that's going to have because they're flirting through this game demo about how just about anything that that you curate or you tailor or whatever it is the decisions you make is going to have an impact on the overall game and that sort of thing in terms of when, when you're creating a character and you decide to have certain types of backstory attributes to it, is it really going to have that much of an impact on the game in terms of the story or the gameplay? Or is it just kind of like helping you feel, is it like basically like a smoke and mirrors thing where it's like, well, yeah, I came from this prostitute mother and everything else, <laughs> da, 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 da. but it doesn't actually have any kind of like huge weight on like what, happens in the game in terms of like how your character is treated. Like for instance, let, let, let's, let's go to, to the other side of the spectrum. Let's say for instance, I want to create a character that was born with a silver spoon. And so as a result, I should not have to start the game out in the slums of cyberpunk of night city. I should be able to start out and, and um, perhaps in one of the families that works for the corporate companies. And suddenly as a result, I have access to, 
quite a bit of privilege. Right. And maybe like I have to have a, a different perspective on the entire world of, of Night City and that sort of thing and just battle some of the, the people that, that normally, um, you know, you would find like in the game demo with, with the folks who were kind of more on the, the, the ghetto side, the downtrodden side, that's that, that sort of thing. Does the game support something like that? Or like, again, I think, I think that that, if it does, that would be fantastic. Personally, I don't think they are going to do that. I think that they're going to probably just use kind of the, the same overarching, you know, here, here's your, your friend who's of Hispanic descent and everything else. And, and you're going to move forward and do everything. I don't know. Like, like that is unfortunately one of the shortcomings when you're dealing with a game that has certain types of high level ideology like this, where they want to have this completely open world, but to do that would, would require so much work in terms of making sure that every type of, scenario would be fully realized. And I just don't think they have the, the money, time, or uh, labor. Well, I think that would, would have to be a whole completely different story, too. Because at some point, they have to have the progression of the story they want to tell. Right. And, and that's, that's why I'm saying, like, when it comes to creating your character, like, like how flexible are those options? Like, are we going to just stick with options that kind of live within more of like the edgy underbelly of the world kind of thing. Because at that point, then it's just nuanced. It's like, Oh, well, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the child of a, of a prostitute. I, um, was the child of a smuggler arms dealer. Well, whoop de freaking do like, I mean like how, again, I want to see actual, and again, even that example, I'm not even poo-pooing that example. Like, like once again, if I was the child of like, say a smuggling arms dealer of some kind or whatever like that, I, by, by the expectation would be that then I should have instant access to certain things that normally perhaps I wouldn't have if I was a child of like a prostitute. Possibly. I mean, that that's attainable. <clears throat> like I said, I think there's, there, they want to lead you certain parts of it are going to be open. Certain parts are not. They're going to have to progress it somehow. But I think it's mostly going to be uh, how you respond and the give. They'll, they'll give you a different set of decisions or reactions to make. Maybe they might give you a little extra money. Maybe they might give you a different weapon. Maybe they might give you different clothes. Something like that. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to start a whole new story based upon um, who you were born from, Russ. Yeah, and again, the the being the born from thing that's just like an arbitrary example, right. but because um, I, I do believe that they're gonna they're gonna have kind of like just this the same overarching story regardless of what kind of um, little tidbits that you choose from. But uh, I would like at the very least to have some sort of change up, which I think, given the demo, like for instance, like based on um, different attributes that you choose for your character, I do think certain things will become available. I mean, like, like there we saw in the gameplay demo that, that, that she has some kind of engineering skills. And so she's able to, to work with like a, a, some wires in a, in a box to be able to open up a door or something, as opposed to just hacking into the, the door to open it, that sort of thing. It's like, okay, there are different avenues as to how to get out of a situation in that regard. And though, but those have kind of, uh, f choices, I guess you could say. Um, they've been around in games for quite some time. They're they're not breaking any new ground in, in that respect. 
Um, but anyway, I don't, I don't want to completely uh, go off on a tangent on this. Go ahead, <laughs> like you already did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, like speaking of personalities, though, too. Uh, I mean, tons of just regular, believable personalities for almost everybody in the game. Nothing, yes. nothing like seemed really forced. Like this person was, you know, is the urban person, so he has to act urban, sort of thing. You right. know, uh, I think. You know, similar to like, for example, The Witcher, mm-hmm. um, you had that kind of Viking esque uh, tribes that you would you would come across, and they would speak to you as such. You know, they, they had their own little terminology, their own slang, uh, and you, you know, obviously you can communicate with them just fine. But they had their own little subcultures. And I see the the similarity in here, where like your partner, you know, I don't know if he's you know some cholo or you know vato or something like that. You know, but he's speaking a lot of you know Spanglish to you. Everything sounds awesome. Everything sounds like it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's nothing that. Uh, I mean, in this day, I mean, right now it's 2018 and it's 2077 there. But I mean, we would understand even if someone didn't understand it now. They would in the future. They most likely would with all the mixing of culture. Yeah, I mean, did that? Did that? Everything seem kind of believable to you, or did did you uh, like or dislike? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the world itself is very well realized. I found myself making comparisons to Witcher 3 just because that was the most recent right. game that they made. And I, I, you know, it's cool because with Witcher 3, I felt like a loner. And I think that was intentional right. in terms of being kind of like this loner, mercenary, mind my own business kind of thing. And there is a bit of a kind of a despondent quality that was within Witcher 3. Whereas if I compare that to Cyberpunk, um, no pun intended for this, but everybody feels connected. And I think <laughs> that, I think that's intentional. I think that like, as you're walking through night city and you're going past NPCs or you're interacting with NPCs or whatever the case may be, there is much more of a sense of, I belong here. Right. Like, like this is where I grew up. This is the, this is my world. This in is which the I new live. normal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it absolutely as a, as a result of, of, being in this future sci-fi type of, of world, you're constantly having to, to create upgrades or, or obtain upgrades for yourself, be able to jack in and yeah. do all the hacking stuff and everything else. And so very different vibe from the right. Witcher series. It seems like they, uh, they took some, some lessons from the Witcher. I mean, it's, it's, you have to kind of compare the Witcher with this one because it was all the interest that the Witcher garnered that, well, I shouldn't say all, but t- quite a bit that yeah. they, that uh, you know, folks who played The Witcher are, are going to be really interested in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, the inventory system much cleaner in this than very the clean. I mean, they took a lot of flack for that, and then, I mean, it was pretty clunky. Um, let's see, the the environment just as vast. Yeah, the environment itself. You know, I was thinking about GTA Five. Honestly, I have that. Yeah, for sure. There, there, there's a lot of, of the, of the sensibilities and GTA five is one of the best games ever. Um, looking at this, this is much more of kind of a, a, like I said, a futuristic sci-fi version of that. And and of course, GTA five doesn't have, um, RPG elements to it. And as well as it's, it's not first person, although, uh, rockstar did, um, introduce more of a first person mode, but I mean, at, by and large, everyone likes to play GTA five in a third person perspective, right. but uh, yeah, the, the, the world itself de- definitely feels alive. There's a lot. I found myself like just really looking forward to being able to just explore the world, explore and see right. which people do in GTA as well. 
Yeah, yeah. GTA definitely encouraged that. And it was fun to just not constantly be hammering on the main quest or, or take any kind of side missions or whatever. Like just being able to drive around and really become part of that world is one of the the pillars of GTA. And it's very apparent that with with Cyberpunk, they're doing the exact same thing. Yeah, and I I was thinking uh, GTA as well. The timing of this is perfect because when GTA 5 came out, it was basically like a a next-gen port. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't a, a, a true next gen game, but it still looked great and it still played great. Mm-hmm. But you could tell that it, it struggled a little bit, basically, because it was a port. Mm-hmm. But that was the standard for like a, a live working city cityscape. You know, everything going on. That's people's standard. Yeah. So they look at this now and they think, okay, this is what the next gen is going to look like. Rockstar is going to release uh, Red Dead, but they're going to have to go. Okay. So this is what cyberpunk is. This is basically the new standard. We're going to have to do better. Well, and that's part of the fun of, of course. working in the games industry is, is you're constantly trying to one-up the other, the other guys, so to speak. One thing, so I mentioned earlier about uh, so a couple of, of, of nitpicks and nuances. So I, I was thinking that when you, once you get in the, the car, the little sports car, mm-hmm. I thought that you know, once you you turn the key once you had ignition it sounded great but as you were trucking along there it just sounded like a regular car from like maybe gta 5 or gta 4 even it didn't really sound high tech futuristic i keyed on that too actually yeah and you could see like even behind the car like these blue gray plumes of exhaust coming out i thought okay it's 2018 now everyone's you know super green and how can we make you know cars hybrids but keep the performance there I thought I, I just thought that might be one of the things they hope you know, they they change. At least I hope they do. I was reminded of how this game is based off the pen and paper game, and that game came out in the eighties, right? And you can tell that there is a very conscious decision with the art direction of the game to employ that eighties kind of style. It, it's it's fused with more contemporary modern ideas of what the future might be, but it's, there's definitely an eighties vibe to, to, to various things. And, and of course, you know, they, they take inspiration from Blade Runner and that sure, sort of thing. Sure. And I think also too, 2077, it's not exactly that far into the future compared to 2018. I mean, if we were to basically look at that, I mean, that's what, know, 40 or 50 years in the future. Um, quite a few decades. A lot of can happen. But I, what I appreciate about cyberpunk is you get this nice range of different types of technologies because it's not like 40 to 50 years from now, we're not going to have this amazing change of how everything looks. You're going to have aging things like, like houses and businesses and stuff like that, things that have been around for a long time mixed with more of the state of the art and that sort of thing. And that's always been the case with, with civilization of today. You'll see buildings that were built from like the 1900s versus uh, a building that was just built in 2018. And there's a very distinct difference between the architecture. And that's what he was saying in the demo too, is your, some technology is going to be new. Some of it you're going to be used to. And I like that. I yeah. like how there, there are things that are considered a bit more archaic, right? A little more out of date versus things that are like, you know, bleeding edge technology. It, right. just, it just makes for a more just rich experience. Yeah. 
I was thinking there'd be more traffic. Because you, you saw a bunch of people walking around, which was awesome, which was cool. Yeah. Uh, but you didn't, you know, there wasn't really any cars going by on the street. I thought there'd be more traffic, which, again, the game's in development and there might be more stuff in the air, too. We already know there's... Honestly, I think they're going to... Th- we will see air other travel. cars on the yeah. roads and stuff. We, we really did not see them drive around on the roads all that much. Like, we kind of saw them briefly in a part of the city before they drove to more kind of the back alley shadier areas that sort of thing i i'm i would be shocked if they don't have other types of like npc cars and well i mean like you're they were in the elevator going down and they they were passing by um some sort of freeway and you saw tons of vehicles on there right yeah that's what i mean i was talking about like on the street when they had to cross like the crosswalk for example right yeah you just you know anyhow um one thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, when she was getting her upgrades, uh huh. Did you notice in the menu there was something that said humanity cost? I didn't see the cost. I saw the word humanity briefly, but there's there was so much to take in. I, I wasn't right. able to like study yeah. it. I didn't see. I I I've watched this thing a few times, so then I, then I finally caught it. Uh huh. So I thought I thought that was an interesting perspective. Is okay. You have you know each thing costs a certain money. Right. Right. But there's a takeaway from it where it, it, there, it's called a humanity cost and it doesn't go into it in the demo. So it led, led me to think a little. Uh, I, and what I'm drawing from it is the more upgrades that you get to make you more mechanical or cyborgy or whatever. Right. I'm thinking that the world will treat you different. Or you're going to have a different outlook on the world or maybe like your enemies will be able to hack into you or something, you know, because if you think later on when she gets involved with that little, that gang who was in, um, who had the little spider robot, uh-huh. I mean, their face, their faces are all LED'd out. Like half their face is gone. It's like yeah. a screen, you yeah. know? And I mean, you, if you see one of those people walking by the street, you're going to kind of take two looks at them like well, where you come from and you might treat them a little bit different you know yeah so i'm wondering if that's how if that's what the humanity cost is going to be is if yeah it can, might be cool to get all these upgrades but at the same time is there going to be a contrast to it right yeah and i that, that's what i'm wondering about with a lot of the the different abilities and and just the 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 character specs for the the rpg side of things when you're looking at all that is like, I want there to be very noticeable differences based on where you spend your money or what kind of abilities you unlock, how, you know, like to your point, how are you treated in the world? Um, what kind of sacrifices do you make? Cause, cause everything that, that that's the, the mark of a really good game is just having the, those consequences in place, even if they're good consequences, that's just something that like, I don't know, like I, I really want to have it. And that, that really did capture my interest with cyberpunk is looking at those screens, seeing just this huge variety of, of different types of attributes and stuff that you can add to, or I don't know if you could take away from or whatever it is, but <laughs> I, I, I really do like how there is this very conscious, drive towards customization in the game, not just from the RPG side of things, but also too, like because you're in this kind of hacker world and you're able to give yourself these upgrades and customizations, it does enter into the head about like, wow, like, yeah, these things are really cool, but also too, 
you know, going back to the humanity thing, um, I found myself almost feeling a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. with seeing more and more of the body being replaced by mechanical parts. And that's, yep. that has always been something that even if you watch movies, um, it's this reoccurring type of reaction that I have. And so I don't know. And, and that's not a bad thing at all within the game. That's a very good thing because again, I want this to be, the narrator was talking about how it's a mature game, right? I hope it's not just because you can have sexual encounters with other characters. I want this to be a mature game through and through in the sense that there is considerable weight to everything that all the choices you make, all the different types of, of scenarios you find yourself in. I want there to be this organic type of response to the types of decisions that go on within the game. I don't want there to be just a, a linear story that's told. And I think if they're able to achieve that, it's going to make for just an incredible experience. And like what you said earlier too, if they're able to achieve something like that, is the replayability of the game is just going to be astronomical because then there's going to be a, a bevy of different types of uh, ways you can go about it. And then I, for one, would love to see just how these different scenarios play out and perhaps even have certain parts of the game. And again, this is that this is kind of uh, theorizing on my, my part here, but like, you know, what, what if there were certain major parts to the story that you never got to see because of certain choices you made? Right. If you go back through and play the game and suddenly all of a sudden there's like, wow, like completely new parts of the game that you didn't even know existed, but because you made a different decision, then suddenly you were treated to that instead. That, of course, is not confirmed within the game, but that is a hope that I do have. It might be because they were talking about how important street cred is where you might get different clothing or armor or whatever, uh, or, or your level goes up, but your level increasing doesn't have anything to do with your street cred. So maybe if you're not as strong, but you have a higher street cred, that might get you some extra perks or get you earlier access to parts of the game, which you wouldn't have to struggle maybe later earlier on because you didn't have the cred, you'd had just a higher level. Uh-huh. So I, I think that's definitely something on the board that they're considering. We'll and, have to see. And I also think, Ross, mm. with, with your point of it being a you know, mature game and this, that, and the other, I think they are taking the better case scenario because if you think about it, we're not wowed by what the narrator is saying. He's just basically being our guide saying, this is what you can expect here. I, this I is thought what, the narrator did a good job, by the way. He actually really did. Um, but the game sold itself. Really, I mean, they—they they, you just played the beginning parts of the game supposedly. Yeah. Um, but everything that you saw was awesome. Yeah. And the narrator didn't have to explain to you how cool it was. You already saw it. Speaking of the narrator, I think if I'm not mistaken, he—it's the same person who back when The Witcher was coming out, they had something to, to kind of launch the game where he was standing on some beach cliff. And talking to you about The Witcher, how it's going to be expansive and how great of an RPG it's going to be. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's the same person. I mean, if so, great. You know, awesome. But his voice did sound familiar if if, if it was the same person. I don't know if it's the same person or not. Uh, That is a a good question. You know, I had one more thought when we were going back to uh, the humanity versus uh, like the cyborg stuff. Uh Uh-huh. 
just thought of something. So back when you're watching the demo and she gets her little eye implant or upgrade or whatever, and she's able to scan pretty much whoever she wants, mm-hmm. right? And if they have any kind of mechanical stuff or anything that can be hacked or scanned, you're able to see the strengths, weaknesses. You know, I think you need to see their names, uh, whatever and whatnot. But if you're just a regular person, you have nothing to scan. You have no implants or right. cybernetics, whatever. Then you, you then nobody can tell your strengths or weaknesses. So I wonder if that's going to be also taken in part in, in the game that be later on where you might have this upgrade, but there might be somebody who you can't use that with. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That, yeah, that's... It boggles the That's right. Even if you were to have the ability to be able to play through this entire game as a 100% homegrown human being <laughs> and not get any kind of implants or upgrades or anything of that nature... That would also be really cool because it, it would be interesting to see, okay, obviously you can tell if you have implants or upgrades or whatever it is, they give you certain types of tactical, um, I don't know, advantages, I guess you could say. Th- that's that's already understood. But I would be curious to see how... Um, they are able to how, how CD project red is able to actually incorporate more of the human side of things. Mm. If you're able to maintain more of your humanity, how is that a strength? Right. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Pretty good insight there, Russ. Yeah. <laughs> That's putting the old noggin to work. <laughs> oh man. Uh, let me see if there's anything else I wanted to ask you. Oh yeah, of course. We gotta talk about the combat. Ooh. Oh, he's drinking. Nice. He's drinking. Oh, I wet my whistle. <laughs> okay, I'm ready to speak something, <laughs> Steve. I'm glad that you brought that up because yes, yeah, so am I. The combat is very gratifying. I haven't played the game. It just it looks like you haven't? it's right up my alley. <laughs> let me tell you. But I honestly. Witcher 3 had its own combat system to it, and I thought it was very tightly controlled, and and just the way it flowed was just terrific. I mean, I I think that I was was a little apprehensive at first hearing about how CD Projekt Red was doing this, like, first-person shooter approach, but, like, I mean, looking at what I see, I mean, it looks like it's going to be just a blast to play. I mean, it, it really does look like a lot of fun. There's, like, a perfect blending between having the the first person shooter game mechanics mixed with some good storytelling and I'm right. a, a huge fan of that and it's funny I was actually looking at some old YouTube videos from classic um, sci-fi hacker type of, of world mm. um, and the, the, of course one of my favorites is um, snatchers Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny because back then, like that, that was very much a pen and paper game that was just you know transported to the TV screen. And playing that game, you really didn't have any kind of like crazy interactivity with the world. It was literally like you would choose to go to a certain room. You were presented with a, a still static image of the environment that it's in, and then you would just read. Like, 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 like the text would come up on the bottom half of the screen and your mind would fill in the details and it would have like some, some fun 
audio cues and that sort of thing, especially because it came out for like the Sega CD. And so it was, it was nice to have some voice acting and that sort of thing. But by and large, I mean, it was very much a very basic pen and paper style game that was digitized. And so it's cool to see a game like cyberpunk come out where it's like, wow, like this is very much immersive. Um, and I, for one, just can't, I mean, I, I very much look forward to the game. I cannot wait to be able to see what it's like. I am, it's interesting how so many different types of futuristic worlds tend to take that dystopian type of route where there's just, it's just a darker kind of world. It's, it's a, um, glass is half full. Well, I would almost say the glass is half empty in this regard. I don't know. Like, like there's, there's kind of a play on overabundance where everyone always talks about how technology, the leaps in technology should make life easier. But at the same time, it also introduces its own kind of drawbacks and complexities. And I think it's cool how they, they've been able to explore that a bit in this game. I'm yeah, I, I'm curious to, to see, Obviously, it's it's really fun to have that kind of like edgy underworld right. type of experience because clearly, none of us would ever step foot in a, an a environment <laughs> like that or whatever. So it's fun to just kind of have fun seeing what would happen, that sort of thing, in, in a world like this. Um, I would also be interested to, to also see too, just what are more of the um, the moral side of things in worlds like this. Like it's one thing to, it's easy to just be one dimensional and like, yeah, everyone's tough. Everybody's <laughs> got their upgrades and their implants. <laughs> and I'm a shady character and you're a shady character. It's like, okay, we got it. And we're going to throw some shade. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a piece of concrete that hasn't been vandalized yet. Yeah. <laughs> I call dibs. So <laughs> And again, I'm not knocking the game in any way, shape, or form, but just it, it got me thinking also about what if there was some kind of pie-in-the-sky type of scenario where, like, you know, it, kind of like the movie Elysium, I think is what it was called with Matt Damon, where, like, there was, like, this thing that floated in the sky, and it was, like, kind of like this perfect place to raise a family kind of a thing. Where all the rich people went. yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to have anything like that in, in this game or not. But, I mean, just kind of my, letting my mind wander a bit. Like, I, I found myself kind of wondering if that was going to be the case or not. Um, and I, I think in terms of the game itself, I'm curious to see just what kind of moral compass opportunities right. they have within the game itself. Right. So. Kind of like in The Witcher? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so going back to the combat, I was I I liked it too. I was hoping they're gonna there was gonna be some more melee, and there might still be. I mean, right now it's just shooting and maybe some sort. You of know fight. they're gonna have melee. I hope so, Ross. Pistol whipping for days. <laughs> but uh, I'm a little low on my heat seeking homing bullets. I'm just gonna <laughs> whack you on yeah. the temple. <laughs> One thing I was hoping for is uh, better. Like, like more powerful um, sound effects for the weapons. You, you know they're going to fix I'm that. hoping so, Russ. I'm just reacting to the demo, okay? Okay. 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 All right. Any final thoughts, Russ? We're talking about it for an hour? Final fizzles. 
Um, I'm I'm very excited for the game. I I think that they, from what we've seen, I, I think it's really cool that they actually released the the 48 minute long demo, mm-hmm. which I which I understand is probably the same demo that they showed at E3. I'm really glad that that I don't know if that was always the plan to kind of show the people like you know the members of the press first and then drop it onto social media later. Who knows? Uh, but I'm just glad they did it. I think it's great that like we we got a nice long. It wasn't like a two minute demo or a five minute. I mean, it was almost an hour long demo. So by the end of it, I'm thinking, man, like this is really intriguing, mm-hmm. and I'm so happy to see how their investment with this game has come to fruition because they've been working on it for such a long time. And I, I mean, I've said it once and I'll say it again. I I'm, I'm a huge fan of this type of genre. I love the cyberpunk genre and I'm so happy that you have a terrific studio like CD project red. Who's behind the helm on this thing. It's it definitely speaks to me as a love letter to that particular genre, and hopefully it will inspire other studios to to also kind of dabble in kind of a cyberpunk world because it just seems like we only get one of these types of games every like ten years or something. It's it's the most bizarre thing because just about every one of them that has come out has become an instant cult classic. Everybody just thinks back, oh, mm-hmm. that was such a good game, you know. So. Yeah, I, I I think that in terms of the um, the combat mechanics, they look really tight. There's a lot of fun to be had. I think the weapons that we were um, shown have a lot of merit to them. They're, they look a lot of fun. I really appreciated the ingenuity and the creativity of how the weapon animates, how you load and unload and fire and that sort of thing. I think that even with... Um, certain upgrades that you can get with the character itself where you can have like a double jump ability or you can you can kind of you know scale the walls for a bit that sort of thing kind of like you know the titanfall style that sort of thing but having all of those into the game itself i think is going to make for a fun experience and i really do hope that cd project red has been able to incorporate so many of them within their catalog that perhaps that again going back to the replayability thing you choose certain types of, of um, implants or abilities, but that also means that you're committed to that particular type of customization and you wouldn't be able to like have, you wouldn't be able to unlock like every single ability and then just use every single ability. Right. I think that would be cool that, that that's its own kind of type of uh, consequence, if you will, right. when it comes to that. But I think it's fun that you have relationships within the game. I think it's cool how they have taken a cue from GTA to be able to have kind of like this uh, buttoning kind of reputation thing that you do, uh, you know, the more heists you do or the more types of jobs that you pull, that sort of thing that um, you are able to meet new types of, of characters and, and, see like how you make your, your way into the, like what they say, like the, the big leagues or the major leagues. <laughs> um, excuse me. Oh yeah. That was a pizza burp. Oh gosh. A little bit of the old pepperoni. <laughs> um, in terms of the voice acting, I think the voice acting is right on point. I didn't have any kind of problem with that. I, I just, I can't wait to play it. I cannot wait to be able to have a copy of the game in my hands and be able to just emerge myself um, or excuse me, submerge myself, emerge myself. That's what, I, Man, I, I got, get, that could work too, I guess. I don't know. Emerge into the game. I don't know. 
but anyway, just submerge myself into just this, this huge world. And considering the fact that it is an RPG, I, I think that it's especially I'm, I'm hoping that there will be just as many hours of gameplay in this as there were in Witcher 3. I think there's supposed to be. At least they're talking about it. That would be a dream come true. Because also, too, I, I, I forgot to mention this earlier. You know, Witcher 3 was a slow burner of a game. It was intentionally a slow burner of a game. And thanks to you, you, because you had beaten the game before me, were able to kind of show me some of the ropes and stuff. Because I had lost interest uh, in playing it because it was just, I, I just could not feel, I, I didn't feel connected with what was going on. And that is a very big departure when it comes to cyberpunk because cyberpunk, just watching the game demo, not even playing the game or anything. It's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, (laughs) I'm in. Glad to uh, know I was your guide. Russ. Nothing but gratitude on this side of the table. (laughs) Plus it was fun to mean Witcher three is such a huge game. It was fun to actually just let you just play the game. And just, I I, I just liked watching. It's just fun. Yeah. Sometimes, you you know, when you're playing a game, you get so caught up in just trying to get through a task or survive or whatever. <laughs> you can't really, like, take in the visuals. Yeah, I remember I was on the phone a few times. You're like, hey, you almost done? Because um, I want to watch you play Witcher 3. And then I got to go to bed. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll wrap up my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that's kind of tradition for us. Is like there are certain games that you like to watch me play. There are certain games I like to watch you play. And, and Witcher was a perfect blending of the two because it's like, okay, well, I, I, I still played a significant portion of that game. But it was just nice, like, if I'm tired or whatever and I'm just like, eh, I, just, I don't have the energy to play it. I just won't watch it. <laughs> it's just nice to have you come over and be able to brandish your little sword. Oh, jeez. And then uh, I look over you. Did you see that, Russ? <laughs> <laughs> I did fall asleep sometimes. Oh, man. I guess I'll save the game. So, yeah. Um, just to, uh, you know, wrap up on my end over here. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was uh, it was definitely intentional to release this. Because I think in this day and age, and everyone's looking for leaks in the first uh, to get some footage to, for any kind of game. Uh, and throw it on YouTube. You know, I, I think they wanted to be in control of their own marketing. And so here's 48 minutes for you guys to salivate over before the game comes out, you know, and then we, we, we did it all ourselves. I think they're proud of their game. Uh, I, I think they spent a lot of like think tank time thinking about what would people expect in, in this future? And with this technology, what would we be able to do? Because if you could hack into this, what makes what, what will be the limitations of not being able to hack into that, you know, sort of thing? Or would people expect X, Y, and Z? Because the game looks, I mean, everything that they were doing, I thought, oh my goodness, you can do this. You can do whatever you wanted to basically scan or hack or whatever, which opened up other doors. I mean, instead of just searching for keys and batteries and conduits, whatever, mm. <laughs> you know, puzzle solving, this is totally different. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was thinking about too was, you know, growing up and, and watching E3 and looking for all the new games that were coming out, I was always looking for Namco and Square and Capcom, and Konami. I think it was even Konami who made Snatcher, if I'm not mistaken. Am I mistaken? I actually, here, well, I will look it up while you're talking. Anyway, so companies like that who made the backbone of the video game industry, now it's like, 
CD Projekt Red, who I didn't have a clue who they were before Witcher 3. I paid no attention. And now I'm like, man, what's CD Projekt Red going to do? Uh-huh. My goodness. Um, and, you know, I'm. you were mentioning uh, about the mature title earlier. I'm, I'm glad they're keeping it mature, honestly, because there's a lot of adults who still play video games. Oh. Snatcher is a graphic adventure game written by Hideo Kojima and produced by Konami. Oh, <laughs> one of the four had to be right. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, some some folks just aren't going to play Kirby games like you, Russ. You know, we're going to play other types of games like Clash of Clans, you know, mature stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> I'm glad they, they treat us like an adult. I mean, yeah, there's some stuff that's that's edgy that's going on. Like, you're going to, you can do drug use, you can have casual relationships here and there, um, but they treat you like an adult. And what got me thinking of that was earlier today, I watched the latest trailer for The Predator. Uh huh. And I, and I like The Predator, the first movie. And oh, the first one's a classic. I mean, it's awesome. And then you look at this remake, and it seems like th- they just took the science that made the first one a classic and great, and they just tossed it and thought, oh, I was going to throw in some rap music. Oh, here's some comic relief. And I'm like, I don't, I, every little bit of interest I have in seeing this movie, I don't know if it's tossed out the window or what, but I surely don't feel like an adult watching that movie. I yeah, mean, it's, 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 it's for the teens. Yeah, but even that, when I when I saw the first Predator movie, I was a kid and I thought, man, this movie is for adults. <laughs> you know, I mean, watching the new one, I might be like, this one's definitely for the kids. I don't know. <laughs> Anyhow, going back to this, I'm glad they were they they show us like even you know, the music's mature and the the outlook on on society is mature. Your decision, your decision. <laughs> We're struggling with our words tonight. Decision uh, making process mm-hmm. is is mature. So there's a lot more than just uh, you know some of the on the surface stuff, which I, I definitely appreciate. But anyway, that's about all I have there, Ron. Mm, well, I appreciate your impressions and insights, Steve. It's always a pleasure to listen to what you have to say about that wire. <laughs> That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm for exclusive and early access to the show. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud.com slash joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. Except for last week. Except for last week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time.